What if we could quantify intangible human wasted capital and turn it into a resource? Coming into this, I thought this might be kind of a crazy question to explain, but I think after everything we've seen, it's, you know, this is just a different version of Sloan's talk, maybe less artistic, a little bit more businessy. Um, so as Andrew Matt said, my job is to empower people to go for their dreams. Um, what I see people do every day in learning about entire new skills, realities, opportunities that they never knew existed and pushing themselves is absolutely a testament to the power of human capital. The true value of a person is the greatest untapped natural resource. Um, again, I think we're seeing that theme play through today. Uh, it's going to be exciting what comes out of this. The creativity and compassion that you've seen so far today really represents that for me. And the potential of individuals and communities when not limited by dehumanizing systems. What society calls rebels are actually people just being themselves. When I think about human capital, it's not an abstract concept. It's very real and tangible to me. It's Nancy starting her school because there was no other way for her to do that than to leave the system. It's all of us here today engaging each other, challenging each other to create a better rea reality. Which of these more describes you? Uh, and if, if you identify with the first one, that probably says more about you than the conditions of your work and what you do in your job. A recent Gallup poll extrapolated how engaged people are at work. And I don't know if you can see that that well, but 13% are engaged, 63% not engaged, and 24% actively disengaged. So that basically means, you can go to the next slide, 24% of people are actively trying to harm the company or organization that they're working for because they hate it so much. Uh, clearly, we're missing something if all these structures and systems that companies set up to be efficient are creating that kind of engagement. It's in our bones as humans to know that we're capable of so much more. And yet, we look at all of human history through the lens of today, and we realize that we're missing a very large truth. The modern organization was just beginning to take shape 200 years ago, and our current model, with the hierarchical chain of executives and managers and workers, is less than 100 years old. So in less than 1% of the time that we've been human, we've allowed these dehumanizing structures to take over our lives. A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, con a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. Both of these rulers had, you know, small empires in the... The way they structured their organizations was by building a convoluted system of checks and balances. And this was really to prevent any one person or group from accruing enough power to take over the whole. Modern bureaucracies have inherited this design feature that encourages internal conflict over strategic outcomes. Therefore, a well-functioning modern organization will intentionally underperform and will always be less than the sum of its parts. Uh, and luckily, Mark, Mark's here today. Thanks for coming. As we progressed, early 20th century bought increases in productivity by de-skilling or McDonaldizing workers. But when our education and social structures are all based on building workers for corporate or other systems, this favors standardization over the creation of value. The default mode of an organization will always treat people as less talented and capable than they really are. Since the 70s, Saval's work in France has shown that people are the only source of long-term value creation. There will always be frictions when people work together, and for that reason, cooperation is hard work, and Saval calls management the creation of cohesion. 
I think you've seen that with the, with the way Nancy structured her school. Uh, it's about creating the right conditions, not about setting systems and rules. Think about the current maker movement. These concepts pop up from time to time when the world changes drastically and we're forced to reconnect with our capabilities, with our true selves. The traditional cycle has seen these new businesses and informal networks like this that empowered so many people give way to grown-up management and we're back to being less human again. So I don't know if you know Facebook. Kind of cool when it was just college, you know, and then now it's pretty much terrible. But <laughs> we've seen that whole cycle in like five years. Usually it takes longer. Part of the challenge is the hidden story of intangible assets. Accounting for the talent, capabilities, and untapped potential of people is difficult to talk about. Years of social precedent perpetuate the story that workers have so little value that they're disposable. People create value much more than we, we realize. So how much is human capital worth? Using Saval's work, we can begin to deconstruct how inhuman systems within an organization are actually affecting value creation. Um, so I'm gonna go through an example that uses a common business issue, uh, micromanagement. Um, so I'm pretty sure most people know what micromanagement is, but someone who's doing a job you know, below their pay grade or they're telling people who already know what to do what to do, or the CEO telling the janitor how to sweep the right way. Um, So it's important to understand this isn't about valuing this method here, isn't about valuing people, but it's about understanding the hidden costs that are already there. Because this system isn't set up for humans to tap into human potential, they're wasting a lot of resources um, that they're not accounting on their books because it's not a normal accounting sheet. Um, so looking at micromanagement, uh, this is self, basically self-reported from the manager and their employees. So if a third of their time is spent micromanaging, telling people on the floor what to do, what order to move, getting involved in the day-to-day -day operations, this is how much money they're wasting just based on what they're paying him to not do his job a year. Uh, the regulation costs associated with some of this uh, lack of uh, communication. So because the manager is telling everyone what to do all the time, they stop relying on each other, they stop trusting each other, they, they stop working together. Then they start waiting for him to tell him what to do all the time. So every time they're waiting for something, that's a cost, right? Because they're not working, they're waiting for someone to make a decision. Um, when there's miscommunication because no one talks to each other, they all wait for the manager to tell everyone everything. Products get made the wrong way, defects go all the way through the cycle before they're figured out. Um, and that's where we see both the opportunity and the regulation costs. Keep going, sorry. So the, uh, the regulation cost is how much they're wasting on their books every year, but it's due back to this one problem. And then the opportunity cost is what they could be making if they weren't wasting their time breaking things and internally fighting. So this, this example doesn't even begin to describe the complexity behind Saval's work. Um, a lot of it has to do with understanding the root cause of problems. So this method isn't as much to value human capital and say, okay, this is how much things are worth. This is to illuminate all the waste and things that are already going on. Um, we can use this to justify things like the uh, architecture, you know, designing healing. This is a great way to look at what are the actual costs that you can be preventing. Uh, not only is someone more active, but now they can maybe be producing still. They can make things, interact with people. So you're not just increasing the value of their life and making them more productive. The current reality has so skewed our perception that the science fiction writers who once helped us dream in awe of what was possible now bring us a declining genre of dystopian future where society and technology have gone wrong. The dreamers among us have lost their way. 
We have to rewrite the story on work and people altogether from a different perspective. 